Hello, listeners. This is Mix Bell Morgan, and this is Fishnets and Philosophy. Welcome back. I've missed you. For my comeback to this podcast, I am going to be doing a deep dive into the Saw franchise and the Saw films. I will be joined by the wonderful Ariel Powers Schaub as we discuss the films in detail. Each episode will be split for two films and we will discuss those films in spoilerific detail. So if you want to listen to this discussion and you haven't watched any of the films, please go and watch the films and then come back and listen. And then let us know your thoughts. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Morrigan. And if you listen to my latest episode, you'll know that we're doing a deep dive of the Saw series. If you haven't yet, then I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. And right now I am being joined by Ariel Parrish Schaub, who's also known as Ari Hellraiser on Twitter. So before we jump into today's discussion, which is going to be a deep dive of Saw 3 and 4, if you could just say brief introduction of like who you are and your connection with the horror community. Yes, thank you so much for having me back. Um, and thank you for that nice introduction. So yes, you can find me on Twitter. My name's Arielle. I write for Ghouls Magazine and Moving Pictures Film Club. And you can find me on all corners of the internet talking about the Saw franchise. So I'm so excited to get into the, the middle part here with you today. Amazing. Thank you so much. And yes, thank you for coming back on. And I'm excited to be able to explore the this entire franchise with you. And so... As I said at the outset, our previous episode, we discussed one and two, kind of how it sets up the franchise as a whole. We discussed an in-depth review of Saw, the very first film, and then also Saw 2. So this episode, we're going into three and four. And I think for anyone who would have listened to the first episode, we kind of really touched on how Saw 2 is tonally very different to the first Saw, but it's also the one that kind of sets the foundation for the rest of where the franchise goes. And I really think that both three and four kind of pick up that baton and run with it. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what you think, but when I watched three, it almost again had a very tonal shift compared to two. And I think for me, that tonal shift was probably brought on by the fact that James Wan and Lee Winnell came back both as writers, whereas it wasn't both of them for two. So I think they kind of brought back that almost like really kind of personal element to the stories that are involved yes. with the film, which I think was lacking and missing in Saw 2. At least we had the, you know, we had detective eric and his son that type of connection but the rest of the characters in the house and two didn't really have that whereas in saw right. three it feels very personal and i'm just wondering before we get into a full discussion of the film what you think on that did you think it was a different to two tonally yes absolutely i was uh ready to talk about the same point because it's exactly as we talked about in the last episode the first film has such a personal feeling, a really intimate getting to know Dr. Gordon and Adam, whether or not you like them, we spend a lot of time with them. Mm-hmm. And then we jump into the second movie. There's a lot more characters because there need to be a lot more death set pieces and the characters aren't as likable. 
Well, the third film kind of hits a really good middle ground of the two, I feel, because there are a lot of good set pieces throughout and there's a lot of opportunities for the traps. But you really love, or at least I did, the characters of Jeff and Lynn. And Hmm. we get to know Amanda more too. And so it felt much more like an intimate, you know, um, character study than the second one does. And I love that about the third film. 100%. And just as you mentioned, we are introduced to those characters of Jeff and Lynn. And I, I love how it's like, not only is there this everything to do with the traps and... You know, Lynn trying to, you know, make sure that she saves Jigsaw so that she doesn't blow up and die. There's also <laughs> yes. the fact that there is like a intermarital kind of relationship struggle that we see played yes. out in these two characters. And I think it just really makes them really relatable because, you know, you could, mm-hmm. I, I think most people, whether can relate to having those real kind of struggles in a relationship. So kind of seeing that mm-hmm. explored and played on a screen really helped flesh out those characters and make them more human and believable and one thing that as well with saw three that i think look made it different again to two and i wonder if this was again because of one and winnell coming back as a duo but it feels like it wasn't just about traps it was also about like the tests as in the test for you know the Jeff has his test that goes out throughout the film that is related to the traps that other people are in. So I found that there it gave more of a punch to the traps almost, that there was more riding on it. It wasn't just the person in the trap. There was also someone else that could potentially determine the fate of that person. And I thought that yes. was really interesting. And I think four kind of continues that as well with it's about tests rather than just the traps and yes going into again there would have been a spoiler at um, mentioning spoilers will happen but spoiler for the end of saw three we realize that there's also a test for amanda so it's that tw- yes. again it's saw does oh that brilliant goodness. thing of we're gonna twist it double blind you you didn't see this coming and mm-hmm. yeah that that was um <laughs> spectacular but i'm wondering if it feels weird to say what is your what was your favorite way of someone dying but in Saw 3, is there a trap <laughs> that stands out to you as one of the traps that felt like the best one in the film? So I love that you're asking me this question about this film in particular, because Saw 3 has the only scene that I've come across in cinema that I cannot watch. Right. Okay. And, you it know, me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe we'll find another scene. I've not seen every movie, so I want to totally leave room for there's probably other stuff out there that I can't sit through. Mm-hmm. But the pig vat trap. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I love it because it's awful. But um, <laughs> whenever I show this movie to someone, I'm like, OK, I'm just going to close my eyes and cover my ears for this part. I find it so disgusting, like even just describing it now. Um, If anyone doesn't remember, pigs are being ground up and someone is drowning in their guts. And I'm trying really hard not to just gag describing it. Um, So (laughs) it holds a special place in my heart because I literally cannot look at it. Whereas everything else in the Saw franchise and other movies I've seen, I'm like, oh, yeah, show me more. (laughs) No, I I agree with you. That's definitely a thing from Saw 3. That one definitely Mm -hmm. stood out to me. And I... It's interesting because like you see it a lot in horror films or just kind of films in general, but there's usually like 
the filmmakers are trying to convey that there's obviously something revolting or disgusting in the scene. And a lot mm-hmm. of the times it doesn't really come across. You kind of just kind of feel, oh yeah, it looks like it could be disgusting if I was in that, but it doesn't yeah. really hit you. But with Saw 3, I don't know, it just feels really visceral. Like it's almost like you could, it, you can feel it like, and it just mm-hmm. seeps into you. And I think that's what makes it extra like gross and very much like, okay, once was enough I'm not gonna sit through that one again um <laughs> yeah and I love and about... then I mean the yeah. rack is a rough trap too to to sit through it's great yeah. but it hurts yeah. to watch too definitely and like the the rack is in the one that's in Carrie's chest or is the rack a different one? Oh, that's no. the angel trap that that's one is also trap. awesome <laughs> the rack is the one that timothy is on where his bones are twisting oh yeah oh yes how could i yeah. that <laughs> um because yeah. there's so many good ones in this film that's actually very true and actually speaking of tim like that um reveal of timothy i love how as the film goes on it really is like jeff's test as and it's all these yes. people that are related to the death of his child and i kind of love how it's just like jeff is kind of like just begrudgingly kind of decides fine i'll save the person after like i think they're trying to show you that he's obviously conflicted but i don't know if that comes across to me i think it's just him kind of going you know what i don't really want to save this person and then kind of goes oh fine and then decides yep. to do it and it's usually when it's too late so I yes. kind of, and I think I think it's really interesting and I think that actually like we were saying in the previous episode about how Jigsaw um is a really good read of people and I think these mm-hmm. this test for Jeff shows how good he is a read of Jeff because I think he knows that Jeff isn't actually going to really try and save them. The only one he technically does is your man in the pig vat, but really uh-huh. at the last minute. And then he ends up not surviving anyway because of the next scene. So it's right. interesting. And yes, I want to know what you think, because I remember in the notes that you gave me about the discussion of the themes for the franchise as a whole, I really feel that Jeff's test is kind of, it gives us the first glimpse into what Jigsaw's real motivation under his kind of morality is. And it's his desire to be a father. It's fatherhood yes. and parenthood. And I want to know what your thoughts on that are. Do you think that Jeff's test, his storyline is what kind of sets up that reveal of what Jigsaw's motivation is? Absolutely. Um, you know, if you look back at the two previous films, Dr. Lawrence Gordon and Detective Eric Matthews are both not the greatest dads. Mm-hmm. And so in the test of Jeff, where we're really getting to know him and it really is 100% about his fatherhood, you can really feel how much Jigsaw and John Kramer really doesn't appreciate the fact that he, that he's like, you get to be a dad and here you are not taking advantage of that and not making the best of it. Because yes, Jeff and Lynn lose their son in a tragic accident, but they still have a daughter who needs them. And there's a lot to unpack there about family grief and how mm-hmm. to process that and what parents have to sacrifice for their children when they're still grieving. But Jigsaw's like, no, you're supposed to be taking care of your daughter and you're just getting drunk and fantasizing about killing your son's killer and you need to be a better dad. And so making the test all about his failings as a father, you really start to get a look into into John Kramer's mind of like, oh, this is what you want people to appreciate is their families. 
yeah yes. it's really starts to shine through with jeff definitely i agree and um actually just just not related to jeff but just when you mentioned eric matthews again it just reminded me of the way saw three starts with literally continuing mm-hmm. on from two of him trapped in the same cell from saw what not cell but bathroom from saw one and i kind of really enjoyed how they're like they show him with the saw and you're like are they just gonna do the same again and uh-huh. no they completely <laughs> he goes nope <laughs> and then in the odd like one of the oddest decisions ever like and i can't like i'm still trying to wrap my head around like how that one made more sense or if it was just done because it's more graphic but he literally kind of just literally breaks his foot off using the like <laughs> toilet seat cover and it's yeah. graphic it is graphic and i'm just uh wondering what you thought of a way to how that introduces the film like what you thought of that mm-hmm. little set piece well, I love it because, um, you know, it it gives us, it starts another thing that later, that continues throughout the Saw franchise, which is picking up where we left off. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, not every movie does that exactly, but it does start to tell us, okay, there's going to be a thread here and all this is going to be connected. And it's still connecting back to the original. So I love that. It's, it's hanging on to its roots. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tells us something about Amanda as well, which we continue to learn about her. And I think the choice that Matthews makes to smash his foot instead of cutting it off is so perfect for him as a character because he's such a blunt force person. Mm-hmm. You know, he makes his way around the world by hitting and punching and yelling instead of like, you know, Dr. Gordon's a surgeon. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to make a tourniquet. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to saw at this precise place because I know what to do. Eric Matthews is like, I'm going to hit things until the world is the way I want it to be. And so I'm kind of like, yeah, I guess that makes sense for you. Uh, but it looks like it hurts way worse. <laughs> exactly. But actually, I love yeah. that read of the <laughs> of the character. That's a, a really like that perspective. And yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because he really, <laughs> Eric Matthews definitely is kind of that representation of a kind of like basically kind of toxic white man. Like, as in just kind of like, yep. I'm just going to be, you know, <laughs> hit everything and the world is going to do what I might want it to. And yeah, I think exactly. that's actually quite reflective of Eric Matthews. <laughs> and actually speaking of Amanda, Saw 3 is both kind of Jeff's test and his film, but it's also Amanda's film. It's really about her character. Yes. And as you said, we get to spend more time with her and kind of see, I guess, her motivations and her backstory. And I want to know what you think, because when I was watching it, like it drops hints as in like kind of, it shows the different um, tests that she has set up while Jigsaw has, or John Kramer has been obviously ill and, you know, recovering yeah. or not even recovering, just ill in general. But um, that there was that one test of that one character who is chained up and it looks like it was a schoolroom, I think, but it's yeah. that she chained to everything and it's about how he has to remove himself from all the chains. And when they get to the body, the carry kind of makes that observation that this wasn't jigsaw this wasn't kramer because why would you know there's no exit there's no way for this person to get out and i think that's you've done to show the difference between amanda and jigsaw and i'm wondering what you think my perspective of it was it was possibly kind of like almost like a commentary on like the perversion of ideology in the sense that like Kramer Jigsaw, he has his ideology. He has his way of being and he brings in his acolytes, his followers, 
but some of them probably pervert it into their own way of how they think things should be. And I'm wondering what you think of that. Do you think that film, the film Saw 3 is kind of saying anything about a wider concept of how ideology can be perverted? Or is me is it just me overanalyzing? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's you overanalyzing, then I am too, because I completely agree with what you're saying. And, and I do think the film is saying something about that because... Amanda has dedicated herself and her life to John and his quote unquote work. And she's supposed to be sort of taking care of things for him while he can't. And, you know, we see in this film and in Saw 2 that she cuts herself sometimes. She harms Mm -hmm. herself. And, you know, there's lots of reasons people do that to process feelings and, and whatnot. And so I think a much more extreme version that most people who harm themselves do not do mm-hmm. um, is her is her processing her grief and her anger, you know, by by being a murderer, by killing other people, under the guise of oh, I'm doing John's work and I'm I'm teaching people lessons. But it's absolutely what you said in that she's perverting the message that she's supposed to be hearing and it's kind of this game of telephone of i'm seeing what i want to see and i'm hearing what i want to hear from you and i'm going to take it and do my own thing because Mm -hmm. she's you know her anger and her loneliness comes from a different place than john's and she just wants to keep john's image of her so steady and so perfect that when he's not looking she goes and does all these other things that he doesn't necessarily you know, she doesn't want him to know that she's doing so. Um, we're, maybe we're both overanalyzing it, but I absolutely think something is being said. Possibly. And also overanalyzing mm-hmm. can be fun and it makes engaging exactly. with like, franchises more enjoyable. You can uh, try mm-hmm. and find things that might not necessarily be there, but they could be. Um, yes. And what I love actually, and I think like Saw 3 and Saw 4 are kind of actually the perfect kind of two films to talk about in one episode because they really are so connected to each other and I think you first see that connection and Saw 4 makes this one particular scene in Saw 3 kind of go aha but it's that again Uh it's that classroom scene where Hoffman you know they're kind of standing around the body and Hoffman kind of just goes all he had to do was remove himself from the chains and like Rake kind of looks at him questioningly going all he had to do and they don't leave they don't they don't touch on it again they just move on from it but then in light of what happens in Saw 4 that scene really kind of stands out again because you're just like yes they were literally telling us now (laughs) you know they were telling Mm -hmm. us right then but it's such a throwaway line and I find Mm -hmm. that that's one of the really clever things about the Saw films as a as a whole is that they're literally telling you know they're giving you all the information from the start in the same way that Jigsaw is with his puzzles like he's telling you what you need to know to survive the filmmakers they're telling us what we need to know to be able to guess who the potential partners are or the killers are and they're made and crafted so well that most of the time you just don't get it like you don't guess it and I just think that's a testament to how good the films are done it's like I love how they really are just kind of a big whodunit Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is kind of just tied through the lens of this these really kind of gory set pieces and I I love that yes. juxtaposition. So, but I want to know what you think about that scene in the classroom where Hoffman says that line, like in the after watching four and how it reframes it. How do you think that scene mm-hmm. works? Like, I think um, 
it completely is them giving us all the clues we need and us just totally missing them. And there's a similar scene where, um, gosh, and this is where I start to go, did, was that conversation in Saw 3 or Saw 4? <laughs> but we're talking about both movies, so it's okay. Yes. There's a conversation where um, one of the FBI agents says, like, oh, Amanda Young couldn't have lifted this body mm -hmm. and Jigsaw couldn't have lifted this body. Who's who's helping? And Hoffman is kind of there and he's kind of protesting a little bit. And at the time when you don't know his involvement, it does just feel like, oh, he's a detective. He's playing devil's advocate. He's bouncing mm -hmm. ideas around. And then later you're like, oh, <laughs> he was trying to throw them off the scent, literally. Like that is so brilliantly constructed especially because i think i don't think four was planned when three was written mm -hmm. so i think they just really smartly go back and use some stuff um right. and i could be wrong about that but uh one and one l kind of drop off again for the rest of the franchise after three so yes yeah no i'm, I'm thinking yeah. like i'll have to It'll be interesting now to kind of try and do like the sleuthing to kind of see, mm -hmm. you know, if there's much in evidence or information out there that kind of says when the films were planned, if what were mm -hmm. in the pipeline, because you're right, like with Saw 4, even those three and four feel so intricately linked for Juan and Winnell aren't there. They're existing right. as like executive producers, but they're not right. there in the kind of creative process in the sense that, that the writers for Saw 4 are Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, two different people altogether. And mm -hmm. I think that's, I feel like the reason 4 as a film is still so strong is because of that connective tissue from 3, because they tie yes. them together so much. It's hard to separate them. So I kind of feel that, even though four isn't written by James Wan or Lee Winnell, it still feels like they're kind of voices that are coming through in the film, um, which could just be mm -hmm, testament to the quality of the writing of the of the two writers for four that they were able to copy that voice. Um, but I want to know with leaning in, I guess, like kind of moving kind of from a discussion of three and four, and I think because they are linked, we'll piggyback into both of them. It's going to be hard yeah. to kind of say this half is three, this half is four, because they are yes. so linked. So I want to know about how you think the reveal, since you've already mentioned all of it, the reveal of Hoffman in four, oh. Do you how do you think that works? Because for me, and again, it's one of the things that I love with the Saw films, that each film ends with, the game over and the different yes. persons I, I just it's like another <laughs> it's fun so way good. of tying it back to each film and the connective thread the connective I guess life force of the Saw franchise but I just yes. again I didn't expect it I didn't anticipate it didn't see no. it coming and it's just <laughs> okay <laughs> all right there, here we go <laughs> how do you think they pulled it completely. off completely <laughs> oh I think it's expertly perfectly done I never saw Hoffman coming Mm -hmm. and um it's a similar it's a similar ending to the first film when you see adam listening to the tape and john kramer slowly standing up behind him well at the mm -hmm. end of the fourth movie you have rig on the floor listening to the tape and you see hoffman slowly walking up behind him and it's almost the same even like level because rig mm -hmm. is on the floor and so it's adam and then there's this taller figure in the background and i, I the feeling 
I got the first time I saw that was as close as I've gotten to the feeling I felt at the end of the first Saw film. Mm -hmm. Like that twist worked almost as well for me as the end of the first one because I just never saw it coming. And the fourth movie was a movie going through it where I was like, what is going on? What, what, are, yeah. who are all the people? How are they connected? And it does tie it all together for you. But the way that they do it at the end simultaneously wraps up a lot and mm -hmm. also sets up a lot. And we talked about this on the previous episode. You could watch the first film and leave it at that. Yeah. You could watch the first two or the first three and leave it at that. Like you could just be done. Mm -hmm. You cannot watch Saw 4 and not continue on to Saw 5 because there's too much set up at this point. And that's what I think is so wonderful about Saw 4. It is the most, it's the boldest film yet in the franchise. Mm -hmm. It expands the world so much. There's so much more that you need to come back for. And that's a really bold choice for a fourth film in a franchise to yeah. say, you got to come back for the next one. They hadn't really done that yet. So I just think it's like, perf not perfect, but dang near. And it's beautiful <laughs> and so well done. It was so well done. I like what you mentioned there about how it really is a film that like, and I think this is, again, it feels like, and possibly I was probably guilty of it in the past when I wasn't really kind of watching the Saw films. But again, the way we talked about it in the previous episode, that the franchise as a whole kind of gets lumped into this whole kind of torture porn era and stuff like that. But yeah, and like you kind of equate the torture porn films with like, you know, leave your brain at the door films. But the Saw films, you know, aren't that. You really have to have your wits together. Like, yes, they kind yeah. of are giving you the clues. Yes, they do the really brilliant montage at the end where they explain everything which you know if mm -hmm. you did have your you know just if you were distracted you'd at least get it but you do have to kind of have your wits together to kind of follow the thread because there's so much happening and what I love with four is how it ties it into three in that you realize the events are happening simultaneously which I thought yes. was spectacular because like you kind of think that it's really where it starts with four, which is them examining Kramer Jigsaw's body and then Hoffman listening to the tape, you kind of just assume that it's just narratively going from there. And mm -hmm. but it's actually not. It's you realize that it's actually complete it's gone backwards and it's happening as three happens and then Jeff comes into it again and it's like, ah oh my God, this is done so well. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I wanna know how you thought about that way of connecting the two films how do you think that worked or did it not work for you oh I loved it I mean I think it worked just exactly as they needed it to because the fourth film opens with Hoffman listening to this tape that's found in Jigsaw's stomach which is gross and awesome yeah. <laughs> and when you first hear that tape it's a really different feeling to later when you think about it mm -hmm. knowing Hoffman was sort of both copying Jigsaw and working for him, exploiting, yeah. you know, framing some murders as Jigsaw while also being one of his disciples. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, you think you'll get through this untested. This is just beginning. My work will continue. That has a really different feel when you realize Jigsaw is talking to one of his own. Mm -hmm. than to just some random police officer who happened to find the tape. So, yes. um, 
the film starts really well because it hooks you in with that thinking Hoffman's going to be one of the good guys. And then it ends really well when you're thinking about that going, Oh shoot, how, what's going to happen to Hoffman? Because the other thing that's crazy about these two films is Jigsaw dies in the third movie. He dies. We see him die. We see him get cut open and there's so many more movies to go. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh. and you're just like, how are they going to make this work with Jigsaw being dead? And gosh, you just have to wait and see. Exactly. Like it's, and I just think that that's, again, it's just a testament to, I guess, the power of those films that even with the yeah. titular character seeming like, you know, and again, it's not like, you know, a horror movie where a character dies, but you don't see it on camera. So they could come back. Right? No, no, you see it. <laughs> there's no way to dispute it like unless yep. they go the kind of weird route of some of the 80s slashers where they're going oh no he's beyond human he's actually supernatural <laughs> right unless they do that <laughs> which they don't but um it's the fact that people still come back even without him there shows how much they hooked people in which exactly. i think is really good to the testament of how they were made but what i love about for like kind of i think specifically because as you were saying it really expands the world but it also expands jigsaw's you know motivations like kind of three kind of sets it up with jeff's story about that you realize that maybe there's it's more than just what jigsaw's view on morality is there seems something deeper and four really cements that for you when you get that backstory of you realize that the miscarriage that happened and he lost the potential to be a father and i want to know what you think about overall kind of the morality that's kind of shown in four because for me even though like the one of these set pieces was really expertly done it also kind of sent a message that I wasn't like totally comfortable with and I think it's something that a lot of mainstream films particularly in horror or sci-fi are guilty of but in four we have the set piece where it's now Riggs test and it's the very large man in the hotel room. And we realize that this man was actually an abuser of women. And it's like, basically the test is, can you essentially gouge out your own eyes or is your, do you care about your body so much? But I feel like, may, I don't know if it was intentionally or unintentionally, but the fact that this abuser was a very large fat man and it was saying, very large fat man and abuser goes hand in hand and i think horror and sci-fi have a lot of unquestioned fat phobia in that a lot of the time they portray the villainous character as someone who is very fat and it kind of has this message of fatness equals morally wrong and equals evil and i want to know what you think about that like do you think it was just not questioned about that message it could send or do you feel like maybe it was something they were actually saying something about how jigsaw thought about people yeah i think that's a really good that is a really important point that i don't hear talked about a lot and i i'm glad you brought it up um i i think hmm, where do i want to begin uh (laughs) i think you're right horror has a lot of fat phobia especially you know older films which i don't like to admit it but the saw films are getting a little up there um 
And the 2000s was a very edgy, edgelordy <laughs> time in horror. Um, so I absolutely think, you know, not not only is he a fat character, but he's also portrayed in other unflattering ways. Mm-hmm. You know, they have him not dressed very well. They He's a proprietor of a hotel that's not framed very well, or at least the manager of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they set him up to be this abuser. And so the idea is upon seeing this character, we're immediately not supposed to like him. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's interesting because his crimes, this is the only time the franchise has any sexual violence, yeah. um, which is a very interesting thing to say about films that have been lumped in as torture porn. And exactly. yeah, the the sexual violence that we do see on screen is limited. Yeah. A lot, it's a lot more implied and, and spoken, mm-hmm. uh, but it is there and it's the only time it's there in the franchise. And so they decided to pair, you know, this thing that is a particularly upsetting thing for a lot of viewers mm-hmm. with, I think, the largest character in the whole franchise as well. Like there aren't a lot of other fat characters in yeah, the Saw franchise. I think really makes it stand out more. Yeah, I think, exactly. You know, as in, and it, that's I think that's really what I found so jarring. It because mm. it's not like it's not something that you, it's not like there is a fat character in every film. You know that kind of gets killed in right. some way. It, it feels very deliberate. And yeah, yeah. I just again, I think it is just, and I think this is one of those things about being a horror fan is unfortunately so many of the films that we're fond of are pieces of the time they were made and yeah i think this is just an example of that and it's not like unfortunately given just look at you know the new dune film that came out recently which again had the villain as a very large fat man which is something that sci-fi does as well as well as horror um so it's not like fat phobia has gone away it's still unfortunately very present but i feel like saw four and the fact that this was a very deliberate choice i think is very much example of the time the film was made and yeah i just think it's i think it's in general these things are something that we when we discuss the films that we like we should kind of call them out because yep you know it's part of discussion of the film and i think that the the best way to enjoy film is to kind of critically engage with it as in is to say, I enjoy this film, but this element is problematic, you know? And I think yeah, for discussing films, it's important to do that. And the other one that stood out as in Saw 4, and it'll be interesting to see as the films go on, if this type of like commentary was contained to just one film or if it's continued, I'm not sure, but I'm excited, to, not excited, but, you know, interested to see how it uh-huh. progresses if it does. But it was also, it felt there was that one character that again in Riggs test his almost first test where he wakes up and then finds out Mm. that there's someone tied to a chair in the room and again the person who was being punished was a sex worker and again it was just kind of that little bit horophobic in that it was kind of sex work equals bad to be punished and yep Again, it's a commentary of Jigsaw's morality, how he views people who should be punished. But again, I was just kind of like, really? Did you have to do that? Did you have to throw that in? Couldn't it have just been a random, like, did it have to have that specific element? Couldn't it have just been someone? Yeah, I want to know what you thought about that mm-hmm. as well. 
No, I think that that, um, I think that that is important. I, and I also noticed that I always read every victim in Riggs test. Mm. I read that as a Hoffman pick rather than a John Kramer pick. Right. Okay. And I don't Mm. know if that is like canonically correct, but if I sort of think about the people that Hoffman chose and his reasoning, you know, he's coming at it as a cop and, you know, not only are they criminals, but they're criminals that are deemed to be like moral failures, particularly, you know, like Mm -hmm. sex work, unfortunately, versus John Kramer is like his, his motivations are revenge and envy, I think. Yeah. So not that that makes it better. No, but no, that's actually when you frame it that way, that's actually something that for some reason that just didn't click in my head. Um, But that's actually, I think you're right there because yes, Hoffman is a detective. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, police have a very stigmatized and negative view of sex workers. And it's something that we see not just in horror, but in every police drama every procedural any sex worker yes. that's there it's even if they're you know the victim of something they're a victim because they were a sex worker so it's there's always this strong commentary and anything where there's a law and order presence mm-hmm. sex work is considered a moral failing and bad and i think yes. this is just an example of that so yes i think actually yeah i'd agree with you there that it feels more like it actually probably was a hoffman choice um and I don't even think definitely Hoffman and not even Amanda who would have been alive at this point and still doing stuff for Kramer because right. there was a way out for these people. So yeah, exactly. no, I think, I think uh, that's, yeah, I think that's a good read. But though the one thing that did pop into my mind when I was watching that scene in four is just how deep of a sleeper is rig because right <laughs> it's yeah. literally every like the entire <laughs> corridor is set up with all these photos of everyone and there's this one person like tied up in a chair in a really elaborate machine and i'm just like he must be a and really they had deep to get sleeper the, the chair had to be brought into the house <laughs> set up with the gears and and then you're assuming too uh you know brenda the woman in the chair would did she just stay quiet the whole time yeah and maybe if she was knocked out but yeah there's a lot there to like yeah what what kind of a heavy sleeper is rig that's a great question yeah exactly but i think it's what i do like is i think it's the only at least for me from watching the four films so far it's the only one that kind of did kind of take me out of it to kind of go, mm. wait, wait yeah. a minute. Because the rest of them are all done in these abandoned warehouses and stuff like that. So yeah. you can, they're very believable. That's the only one that made me pause and go, wait a minute. But then the scene yeah. that follows is just so dramatic. Because again, I thought that trap was, that one was hard for me to watch as well. That was brutal. The, the scalping with the mission. Like, yes. And then I love how like in my head, I was like, just cut her hair and then Ray goes to yeah. do that and everything has been removed from the kitchen because it's very clever on presumably Hoffman's part so yeah I yep. was just like I love how even when the audience member is like oh this is what I would do nope <laughs> they're ahead of you you can't and yes I just think that's again a testament to how the films are made that they not only are the characters so Hoffman 
and Kramer, and then to an extent Amanda as well, not only are they kind of, I guess, good readers of people, but also mm-hmm. the filmmakers are very good readers of the audience. And I think yes. it's just reflective of those characters. And I completely agree. Yeah, no, exactly. And one thing that I'm wondering as well, because I mentioned in your notes, you did actually talk about how the hotel set piece was one of the standout ones. So I want to know what you thought about just the actual the design of that trap, that set piece. Like, do you, as a, is it is it the standout one from the fourth film for you? The, the gouging out of the eyes, yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, I think that it is, especially because it's so unique. Mm-hmm. to the other crimes or quote-unquote crimes that we see punished throughout it's definitely the one that it's it's not just like oh you're a bad dad it's like yeah no you're a rapist like that's it's you kind of go whoa saw whoa where are you coming from now um for me though i think the absolute standouts like the thing i always think of when i think of saw four mm-hmm. is um how eric matthews dies at the end yeah yeah the ice block head crush is yeah it's almost like a money shot at the end there when you're just like what's gonna happen and then it it explodes yeah that one was (laughs) that one's definitely very memorable as well and Mm -hmm. again i just love and i think that that piece shows how hoffman like almost as a the polar opposite to Amanda Hoffman isn't perverting yeah. Kramer and Jigsaw's ideology. He's really, I guess, almost in a way, nailing it down or perfecting it, like kind of extending it, carrying the baton. Because all, all he had to do was just have patience. If he just waited those few seconds, all of them would have survived. But nope, he literally quote he had to be the hero and he dives in and you're just like god damn it like it was just like three seconds left he got us nope and it was just I I think that was again just really interesting and I thought it was a good read of the characters but actually I want to know what you think about the start of Saw 4 because I found that start like really because they were again characters that you didn't see and I think it's something that Mm. the films tend to do is it opens with this really kind of a random trap but then you usually, like I say, with Saw 3, you didn't, you know, see any anything else on that trap that just kind of happened and that was it. Whereas with this one, you, the character that survives that trap is then at the end of the film as the person who's kind of orchestrating the ice block room. And right. I want to know what you think about that starting trap because in my eyes when I was watching it, I thought there should have been a third person chained because they had one person who had eyes removed, mouth and ears still there. Another person, lips sealed, but eyes and ears still there. In my eyes, it should really have had a third person who had ears removed, but, you know, eyes and mouth to really kind of have that see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Yeah. And I I thought it was just missing a beat there. I thought they should have had a third person. (laughs) Oh, you're so right. I never thought about that before. Um, that I find that scene really tense because I'm like, yeah. the person uh, with his eyes shut 
automatically assumes that the other person in the room is there to hurt him. And so we start slashing out, which is mm-hmm. what leads to his demise. And I'm kind of like, no, work together, be nice to each other. Cause you know, that's just what I'm bringing to the soft films. I would be dead instantly, but you're, you're so right. Like there should be a, if, if we're really going for, for the, the imagery and the theme there, but then I guess, that might have been too easy if that person could yeah. explain, like, hey, guys, your eyes are set, so shut, your mouth so shut, stop fighting each other. Yeah. I don't know if there was a way for both of them to survive. It looked like one of them had to die. I think so. It definitely seemed very much the chain was going to pull. <laughs> but then, mm-hmm. that being said, though, your man kills the other guy. It wasn't the machine that did it. He just kind right? of was like, Right, you know, fuck it, you're clearly not seeing sense, uh, seeing, um, so I'm just going <laughs> to kill you. Um, right. Yeah, I thought it was a good and interesting way to start the film. And I do like that about how the Saw films have started to do that as they've gone on, is that it really kind of just, we're starting big, you know, it's not, it yes. is, like the main story will continue on, but the film itself opens with this random, very like big elaborate trap. And I like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I want to know what your opinions are, because we kind of touched on it, but with three and four, it really touches on it. But about the whole linking of tests to traps, like what do you right. think that kind of, I guess, theme or message is kind of saying? Like, does it make the traps have more of like a more relevance to them? Or is it just the test is just the connective tissue of the story. It's really interesting because, so if you think back to Saw 1, the tests aren't connected to the trap or really to anything. It's just sort of like, can you do this action or no? Mm -hmm. And then the second film is just about basically like, can you follow the rules enough to make it out before your poison eat, like poison gas gets you? Mm Mm-hmm. In the third film, Jeff has to save people because he's feeling like he couldn't save his son. So that's where you start to get a connection between the test and the trap and the subject. In the fourth film, you really they really start hammering home this morality idea. And whether that's Hoffman's morality or John Kramer's, whoever's it might be, or the films itself, mm-hmm. it's all going, okay, this is something worth punishing and an eye for an eye sort of deal. Yeah. I don't like that, and I don't think we're supposed to like, but, you know, sex trafficking and um, sex work and rape and then being abused by your husband are all considered equal moral failures by whoever set these traps up. And those mm-hmm. are just all very different things. So, yeah. like, the the woman who's being abused by her husband who has to save herself by ultimately killing him, I mean, that's victim blaming at its finest and it's just someone who really doesn't understand the the reasons people stay in abusive situations so there's a lot to unpack there i do think it's really good narratively and if they are hoffman's it setups it gives you an insight into into hoffman and what he thinks about the world but man it's rough like the people who get punished and why yeah no it is very rough though that one scene about now about the woman who was being abused by the husband like Mm -hmm. it was interesting like 
to me, I thought what they were going to say, because it's set up when Rig interacts with those characters earlier and Hoffman right. kind of has to break him up. But yep. we see that this young girl is being abused by her father and Rig realizes that it looks like the mother is covering for it. And right. then that's why Rig assaults this man. And then Hoffman obviously sees this, which is obviously one of the reasons why Hoffman put those two people in the trap, because he knows yep. it's something that's impersonal to Rig. And like it's a it's a really tricky, nuanced one because I think it's on the surface they're saying that she's almost like yeah, I don't know. It makes it almost weirder because, like, are they saying that she should be punished because she allowed the abuse of the daughter to go on? Or are they saying she should be punished simply because she allowed her own abuse to continue? And that's, like, again, it shows a complete lack of understanding of people who are in abusive relationships because right. it's not just something you can just simply go, you know what, I'm just going to leave. This is not right. Like, it, you know, you need right. almost other people to kind of intervention and step in and help you and even that doesn't work because a lot of the times the person needs to kind of have do the internal work to be able to make that step so it's a tricky nuanced situation but yeah Mm -hmm. and I think this is the the one thing I guess about the Saw films as they go on and as this concept of morality and punishment really gets kind of nailed down that these are why the traps are being done there are people that need to be punished for a certain thing it's one of those things like is this this character's motivation as in is it Hoffman or Kramer are these these characters morality or is it actually a little bit of the writer's view being put through the voice of these characters and Mm -hmm. I think it's something that it's, I don't know, it's important to kind of dwell on and kind of try and analyze because horror films, and I think this is, and I'd say you possibly would probably be in agreement in, unfortunately, horror films as a whole are still kind of really much kind of shat on, despite the fact that we do have this, in quotation marks, elevated horror that is going more mainstream (laughs) And we do have like even like kind of Jordan Peele films getting mass attention and horror tends seems to be on the up. We're in a good era of it still as a whole societally horror kind of gets, you know, kind of nose turned up at. And I think horror as a genre is one of the best genres for being able to actually talk about social issues and social commentary, even if it's not actually why the film is setting out to do, it still does talk about issues. And I think it's one of the potential, not negatives, but potential kind of murky areas of the Saw films because it really does kind of send out this message of what should be punished and when you're watching that if you're not really kind of critically engaging with the film you could just take that away and kind of go yep that's a thing to be punished and I'm wondering what you think about that like should we really approach like the Saw films but horror films in general with a critical engagement hat on it or should horror films just be there just to be enjoyed Oh, can't we have both? I mean, sometimes I do just want to turn my brain off and watch something, but sometimes I can't help, especially if I enjoy something, I can't help pick it apart. Um, 
So it's hard not to. And I love a lot of films that have a lot of problems or say mm -hmm. a lot of things that aren't great just for nostalgia reasons or just because they're fun to watch. And so I think that can be okay if as long as you're willing to say, I know it has these problems. Mm -hmm. And it is really murky with the Saw franchise. What is the film saying versus what are the characters saying? And a lot of people... Um, and, you know, a lot of people haven't watched all of the Saw films yeah. or like spent hours thinking about them. And so if you go up to someone on the street and you're like, you know, what do you know about Jigsaw and the Saw films? They're like, oh, yeah, Jigsaw puts people in traps to make them appreciate their lives and he punishes bad people. And like that's kind of the impression a lot of people mm -hmm. have of it. And so if you take that mindset into what's actually happening in the films, it is really jarring because you're like oh that's you're saying this is what bad people are and jigsaw's the good guy here what's going on mm. but again i think it's very much of its time like yeah not that we're perfect culturally now at all <laughs> but i do think <laughs> we've gotten better culturally at talking about addiction and mental health yes and in the 2000s when these films were made and coming out we were not where we are now with that and so mm -hmm. i do think it was much more seen as a moral failure to have an addiction or to have you know any kind of diagnosed mental illness and i think we've come a long way with that so i think it's hard to separate especially from the time period where these are coming from mm -hmm. is the film saying this is bad did nobody question if the film was saying this is bad and we all just accepted it because that's where we were culturally yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think just as a as a general thing, when it comes to engaging with any media from the past, as society progresses and moves forward, you really do have to kind of put that hat on and kind of go, I know that this is an example of the time it was made. It still wasn't yep. necessarily right, but it's mm -hmm. reflecting where the world was culturally. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think it's something that's just when we're engaging with media from the past that needs to be done. Well, actually, there was something that you mentioned in our previous episode, which I think these films really, because they kind of explore it more, it's a good point to pick up on it. But you kind of said that you kind of think Kramer's and Jigsaw's whole kind of, you know, conception of morality and motivation is pretty much BS and bullshit. You don't get on yes. board with it. And I want you to expand right. on that more. What do you think about yeah. that? Because these films really they do kind of explore that motivation more. So what do you think about why it is bullshit? <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't really talked about Cecil yet. Mm -hmm. um, and in Saw 4, uh, Saw 4 does so much. It does so much work. That's where we, um, you know, we learn about the really tragic miscarriage that happens at mm -hmm. Jill's health clinic. And it happens because one of her patients is trying to steal from the clinic and accidentally slams into her. He does not mean to hurt her, mm -hmm. but that is what ends up happening. And so, um, you know, we learn, obviously Jill and John are devastated about that. But John takes that and tortures and kills Cecil. I mean, that is what it is. He says he wants Cecil to you know, fight for his life and his ugly face should match his ugly soul. And so he puts Cecil in this machine where he has to press his way out of knives with his face yeah. and then ultimately kills him by throwing him in a box of barbed wire anyway. Mm -hmm. Not really throwing him in there, but like there was no way Cecil was ever going to get out of there alive. Yeah. 
And I, that is the first, that's the root of, of what John does is rooted in anger and grief and loss of his kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he did not think twice about having Cecil cherish his life before that. But then all of a sudden, Cecil needed to be the subject of of whatever he was working on next. Mm-hmm. And I really think that is a perfect example of how when he picks people to be in traps, he is not necessarily focused on them the way he says he is more. So he's focused on his own motivations. And I think Cecil spells that out very clearly that scene with Cecil. Yeah, no, it definitely, like it was definitely a very personal (laughs) trap. (laughs) You know, it was very, exactly. exactly, It was very personal to Kramer, Mm -hmm. to Jigsaw. But I, I did, I kind of, I did kind of find it interesting because um, in Saw 2 in particular, we really see this kind of just black and white addiction is bad type yeah. message. It's very, you know, crystal clear, black and white. There's no nuance to it. I do think Saw 4 kind of moves it more into gray in that it's the loss of his potential child that is fueling that anger and grief and i think he's using cecil and cecil's addiction as like almost a vehicle for that like Mm -hmm. and i so i think it kind of grays it in that maybe it's not necessarily addiction is outright bad it's a mixture of this person's addiction led to the death of my child so i think it grays it a little bit but Yes, yeah. that scene with Cecil, though, the character of Cecil and that the general, I guess, saw of franchises and in, in the earlier films, kind of commentary on addiction, really, I think, just shows societally the negative effect of criminalizing addiction, as in equating being addicted to a substance to being a criminal rather than taking a harm reduction approach and going, these are people who need help. And right. yeah, I think... Again, like we said, it's an example of the times and where we were culturally, that that was very much a kind of solid view that was held in the cultural consciousness, that addiction and criminality go hand in hand. And unfortunately, even in 2022, we're still not past that. It still kind of exists right. a little bit. Um, but yeah, I want to know what you think about that. Do you think that mm-hmm. that scene with Cecil does grey it out a bit or does it still very much have that stance of addiction equals bad? I know. I think it's a really good point. I do think it adds more nuance, um, particularly because of the work that Jill does. You know, this Mm -hmm. is where we learn anything about Jill and the things we learn about her. um, I think she and her husband really loved each other. And, you know, for for whatever good that did her Um, Mm -hmm. and her work, she chose to open a health clinic specifically for people with addiction problems and it seems to serve um like maybe people who don't have other health care options mm-hmm. in the area and john doesn't ever really seem to respect her work mm-hmm. he kind of tells her like they can't save them you can't save them they have to save themselves he doesn't want her to be doing it while she's pregnant but it's like she's doing really important work in the community and he doesn't really seem to believe in it. I also think it's interesting that he takes people from her clinic 
for his traps. So Mm -hmm. the young lady who propositions him in his car and he says, what are you doing? This is a health clinic. She's in the house and saw two. Mm -hmm. Um, The guy who wakes up in the Venus flytrap and the beginning of Saw 2, who has to go behind his eye and get a key, he's in the health clinic. Like, it's a little Easter egg. You can see Mm -hmm. him in there. And so, like, I think John doesn't think very highly of the people that his wife is serving. But I think Jill's commitment to working for the health of her community definitely gives a more nuanced approach from the film than just addiction is bad. It's like, no, Jill's trying to help people get better. Yeah, and I think... I definitely think that is a it's really important that they have that like captured yeah. in the film because if they didn't then it would kind of be pretty obvious that the film and the filmmakers have this hard view but because they have that in there it definitely gives a more nuanced perspective which is needed and it's good but I actually speaking of Jill because you said four is when we get any kind of exploration into her character I did particularly it, it was one of like just such a well-delivered line and it just kind of like had so much emotional weight between it behind it but it was when she kind of just they're like she's kind of questioning what John is doing like with his like, it looks like he's designing some form of trap or something but she's kind of questioning what he's doing and then she just kind of so like quietly and almost coldly says, I lost him too. And I think yeah. that was a really powerful scene. And that kind of it was a really good commentary. And I think it shows again, it highlights probably one of the failings of Kramer, of Jigsaw, that he yes. is so. And it's actually interesting, actually, now that I'm thinking of just saying that out loud. It's very paralleled to Riggs' test in a way because there are these two characters that just are so blinkers on. They yep. don't, you know, they can't analyze everything. They're blinkers on, just proceed forward, but from two very different perspectives. And I think it's a really interesting parallel that the film shows. I totally agree. I, uh, I yes, I think Rig. And John Kramer have a lot in common in that they can really go after a singular purpose. And they both really feel justified in the thing that they're going after and they justify it to themselves. You know, I think Rig has more of a standing than John Kramer does. Mm-hmm. He, his, you know, his moral failing is that he wants to save everybody. I'm yeah. sorry. That's not a moral failing. Like he's <laughs> trying to do his best. He needs to be more physically careful. That is demonstrated. <laughs> but like, the fact that and he's not you know being a, a good partner his his wife is feeling like she's not getting what she needs from him so mm-hmm. yeah he's, he's not a perfect person but his pursuit is a lot more valuable than than john's is but you're absolutely right there is a parallel there between like i can't take my mind off this thing i have to do because it's the only thing i can focus on or i will break apart with all the grief that i have yeah no definitely and actually now that we, because we mentioned it before about in four, whether the traps were Hoffman's or Kramer's, I like Riggs test, because obviously if the traps, it has to either be one or the other as well. And I kind of think, again, looking through the anal- analysis of which character is it, I'd say it probably the overall test also kind of falls down to Hoffman too, because Hoffman's also a detective and a cop who has worked with Rig, so he probably has this view that 
Rake could be a better cop if he wasn't going gung-ho into everything and rushing forward. And yeah. we even see that in the montage of line, that one line where Hoffman says, you know, what you know you're not supposed to go through unsecured doors. So yeah, yeah. I definitely think in the analysis of one doing our deep dive on four that yeah i definitely think the test and those traps are definitely hoffman's configuration rather than kramer's yes <laughs> um i don't want to skip over talking about amanda a little bit yes either. no 100 percent because amanda three is amanda's film so yes i do really think is. we need to and it's an important character to talk about because she's a really fleshed out and interesting character. Yes. And I really appreciate that. And I think it's like, as I'm someone who loves to listen to horror movie podcasts, and it's something that comes up a lot on the Evolution of Horror podcast, which uh, by Mike Munzer, one of my favorite yes, podcasts. I love one of my favorite it. podcasts. Yes, it's so good. But what so I love good. that it co- like, comes up a lot on so many different episodes through each different um theme of horror that he explores is this whole thing of there's not a lot of complex women characters in horror films that are also villains and I really think the character of Amanda is a really strong good example of that because she is the villain she is you know the antagonist but she's really complex and she feels fleshed out and yeah so I definitely yes what is it that you want to talk about Amanda because three is her film it really is. Um, and she doesn't even know that it is. You know, usually when Jigsaw is testing you, you know it. Mm-hmm. He tests everybody without their consent, but at least he has their knowledge. Yes. He does not have Amanda's knowledge that she is being tested in Saw 3. And that is, it's her test. And it feels like such a slap in the face to me. Like, this person gave you everything. At, you know, first of all, you tried to kill her pretty much and then she won and then you were like okay come do everything i tell you and she says yes of course Mm -hmm. and then you turn you know you just stab her in the back like that like i find amanda's arc really tragic Mm -hmm. because you know she starts with she she has problems with addiction we find out later that she was framed by detective matthews like she's obviously having a hard life mm-hmm. for or or a hard time in her life she finds a lot of comfort and care from john kramer you know for better or for worse she goes she becomes his caregiver and he, like physically when when he needs cancer treatment mm-hmm. and then he's just like I'm going to test her. I'm going to see if she can follow the rules, even though she passed his test once and is doing everything he asked for. And you can really tell he planned for her to fail. Like he planned Mm -hmm. for her to die. And I just think like as a manipulative, as a person as he is, and he know he had so much control over her. Mm -hmm. What, like what an evil thing to do to the person who you claim is the closest you've ever come to a connection. Like, when she gets shot at the end of Saw 3 and we start doing her, like that montage that explains that she was being tested, I was just like punched in the gut by that. I was like, how dare you? She's such a great character and she just has a tragic end. I mean, she's a villain, but you yeah. know what I mean. <laughs> no, 100%. And like, I do think that it's something that horror as a genre tends to be able to explore a lot, but it kind of, 
you know, it shows that there are villains, but a lot of the time villains are humans. You know, they're flawed. They're people. Yes, what they're doing is bad, but they are people at the end of the day. Yes, there are some horror films that have monsters and creatures and that, that are beyond, you know, human people. But a lot of horror films really have this exploring the horror of the fact that villains a lot of time are just people who unfortunately are flawed. And I think that with Amanda's arc, it really explores that. And I kind of think it's an interesting way of viewing it that Saw one to three are almost like the Amanda trilogy is it's kind of her art yeah. kind of captured across three films and it really it's, is it is pulled off quite well and I suppose like the montage it's kind of showing and like you're right and in, in, on one side of the coin it's you through the montage you can kind of see all those bits where Jigsaw is giving the information to Amanda to kind of say you know the clues don't you know don't do it all this type of stuff and it's like he really wanted her to succeed. But then on the other hand of it, you know that Kramer is such like a reader of people that mm-hmm. of course he would know that there's no way that Amanda would actually pass this test, that of course she was going to pull that trigger. So yeah, it's a bit of a, like, depending on which kind of mood you're in <laughs> with your analysis, it's either the case that he did want her to succeed, but Amanda just failed, or he wanted her to die and he was just getting rid of her um so yeah i i kind of fe- have a feeling that you probably land on the second half of it that it was very much kramer is just a manipulative asshole and he wanted her to die <laughs> i d- i mean i i think so i think because he knew he was gonna die and i think he's too selfish of a person mm-hmm. to let her go on without him he's like well she can't exist without me and i'm gonna die so let's plan for her to die but you're right like you could totally look at it the other way of like he gave her all the clues and if she would have actually listened and done what he said she would have been okay like that is true i just think he's a bastard for not telling her she was being tested he told everybody else each time they were being tested yeah no i agree (laughs) i actually like thinking on it now as well, because obviously as three is happening, the events in four are also concurrent and happening. And we Mm -hmm. realize that obviously Hoffman has been involved with Amanda and Kramer as part of this almost trio of people involved with these traps. And when you compare Amanda's traps with what must be Hoffman's, we've, as we said kind of earlier, Amanda's are very much her vision her way of doing things so i guess it probably was that maybe kramer didn't want her to pass the test because he felt that if he dies and amanda survives she'll continue the perversion of his ideology and that can't be done because his legacy must stand and that's why hoffman must be the one to survive out of the two of those i'd say that's I'd say that's probably more likely what Kramer's <laughs> motivation was. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But yeah, I think I think we've come up just over an hour now, and I think we've done a good discussion of these two films. And I just yes. want to want you to say, like, out of these two, do you have a preference of these two films? Which would be your favorite out of three and four, or do you think they're so linked that you can't really separate them? 
It's tough. A lot of times it depends on what mood I'm in when you ask me. I think I like four a little bit better just because it is so bold and it does open up so much. Mm-hmm. But three is great because it does end the Amanda trilogy. You could just watch the first three movies and leave it at that. So like if someone was only going to watch one of these, of course I would suggest three. But like if you want to really get into the saw deep dive four is where it kicks off. Perfect. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on to talk about three and four. And to my listeners, keep tuned because the next episode, we will be deep diving into a discussion of chapters five and six of the Saw franchise. So thank you for